Welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you this morning, and what a joy to be worshiping with you on this Sunday after All Saints Day, which was November 1st. Um, I love the ways that this day in particular is sort of like on my top five of favorite feast days. It, It focuses our attention on those who have gone before us on their journey home, and so I love the opportunity to sort of change the art up on the screen, uh, to, to wear white, to remember their victory, and to, to think about the ways that we are deeply connected to the church that has gone before us. Um, it, it connects us with people whose labors are done. And, and so as I start this morning, as we think about Matthew 5 together, um, let me begin with, with prayer. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty God, by your Holy Spirit, you have made us one with your saints in heaven and on earth. Grant that in our earthly pilgrimage we may always be supported by this fellowship of love and prayer and know ourselves to be surrounded by their witness to your power and mercy. For the sake of Jesus Christ, in whom all our intercessions are acceptable through the Spirit, and who lives and reigns with you in the same Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. A dear friend of mine came to America when she was very young from another country. And on several occasions, as she got older, she took the opportunity to go back to the country that she was born in and to visit her relatives. There was something really formative for her about being in that place and in that culture that was her heartland, her homeland, where her people were. And and that allowed her to function better uh, when she came back to America in a place that didn't quite feel like home, even though she'd been here the majority of her life. There was something about being home that grounded her here. And and so maybe some of you this morning have had that experience uh, with your family background as well. Once um, once my friend had had a child, uh, she's now got two children, they, they would make it a regular practice to actually go back to that home country, even though those kids have no knowledge of that area, um, because going back there is going to give them also this deeply profound sense of where their family has come from, who they are. Um, even though, again, they were born here, there is nothing that necessarily physically links them back to that other country, but just being there with relatives in that space grounds them for life here. And and it gives them a sense of who they are so that they don't forget where they came from. Today, I think, reminds us of something similar when we get to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, it reminds us of something similar in that the church is a culture from where we come. Uh, and, and so we see the contours of that culture in Matthew chapter 5. As we prayed several times this morning, the church is this mystic, sweet communion, this fellowship divine. And, and we can talk about the church as 
you know, this group of people who are here, um, the broader church is plural that meet in this space, uh, the broader followers of Christ outside this building, and those who have departed this faith in Christ's faith and fear. All of these things comprise the church. And the way that we often talk about, or people often talk about the church, uh, those who have departed this life in God's faith and fear are the church triumphant, and those who are still here as the church militant. So the church triumphant, the church militant, both are the church. And, and I was thinking about the song lyrics that Andrew sang, uh, that we sang with Andrew this morning, Oh, blessed communion, fellowship divine, we feebly struggle, they in glory shine, yet all are one in thee, for all are thine, alleluia, alleluia. And that is the blessed communion that we're a part of. Those who in glory shine, even as we feebly struggle. And so there's this deeply formational aim at looking at the church triumphant. Because we're reminded of our people. When we want to ask who are our people, it is the church militant and triumphant. And this is where we came from. And it shows us. And it gives us a sense of identity about how to live this life in a place that feels foreign. That blessed company of saints throughout all times and across all nations of the world in Christ are one mystical, sweet communion. A culture of heaven. You can think of it that way. To which you and I belong. And that culture of heaven is where we derive our identity and where we derive the foundation from which we get guidance on how to live out this life in God's faith and fear. And so let's think about this experience of, of being around cultures for a moment. And we get a little feedback from you. I imagine that you guys have probably met somebody from another culture before. Uh, some of you have lived in other cultures other than the one we are in now or, or your own subculture at your, in your household or neighborhood. Um, but how did you know? How did you know somebody was from another culture? I want to give you a chance to answer. Anybody? Accent. Accent, yep. Their view of time. Their view of time, yes. Absolutely. Clothing. Clothing, mm-hmm. No one said language yet. <laughs> Any others? Food. Yeah, someone said food. Yep, exactly. These are all good answers. So as we think of you know, these things that indicate someone's from a different culture than us, some of these are indicators. Maybe they spoke a different language, dialect, ate different food, wore different clothes. So last week I took my son to the zoo in D.C. And when we were walking from the, the train to the zoo, we started a conversation with a couple Canadians who were visiting from Toronto and they came to see the pandas before we send the pandas back to China. And so, you know, they, we got to the zoo. And when they got there, they were um, saddened to find out that you actually need tickets to get into the free zoo. Uh, which is fine. Like, there's a QR code. You just got to download it, you know. But the fact is, you have to have pre-thought to get free tickets for the free zoo. Now... Uh, <laughs> this was a culture shock for them because they're not used to D.C. where we actually love pointless bureaucracy. 
So uh, I came to them and I apologized to them for one of the aspects of our culture that might be a little frustrating for them at the moment. Uh, and then when I smile, I cracked a joke about it and everything was fine and they got their free tickets and I saw them later. We passed each other at the zoo. Um, but today when we think of Matthew chapter 5, this presents us um, with an interesting passage of the contours of a completely different culture. It's kind of the distilling of Matthew 5 through 7. Matthew 5 through 7 is this famous passage called the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where Jesus talks about the good news of the kingdom of God and what it looks like to be faithful disciples of him in the kingdom. And it's a lot about the good life. What, how do we define what the good life is uh, as we think about the good news of the kingdom? So similar to the ways that when you think of the Ten Commandments, they distill down the commands of the law. Uh, and yet, you know, Jesus even distills those down into two, love God and love your neighbor. Here, the Beatitudes are the distillation of uh, this, the whole Sermon on the Mount, the good news of the gospel of the kingdom. And so this is sort of evidenced in the text itself. If you look at verse 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then you get to verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is all about the kingdom of heaven and to whom it belongs, how to live in it, what it looks like, um, what is the good news of it, and how it occurs in the followers of Jesus. And so last week, Father Daniel had given a great sermon on Psalm chapter 1. And in that sermon, he explored um, happiness. What is happiness? What is the good life is another way of thinking about that. What does blessedness look like in the Christian tradition? And while Jesus did know Hebrew and Aramaic, it was likely that he and his disciples probably read the Bible in Greek. Um, so their, Old their Bible, which we call the Old Testament, they would have known as a Greek Bible. And so when they hear Psalm 1, this first word of Psalm 1 in Greek is the same word Jesus is using over and over again in the Beatitudes. Makarios, Makarios. Blessed is this person. It should remind the readers of Psalm 1. And so these are different than covenant blessings in the book of Deuteronomy, which uses a different Greek word and a different Hebrew word for that matter. But what Jesus is talking about here just like in Psalm 1, it's sort of a wisdom teaching about what is the good life. What is happiness? What is the nature of the kingdom of God? And as Father Daniel mentioned last week, whatever happiness means in Psalm 1, it, it definitely is not the absence of hardship or suffering. And that's uh, no more true than what we find in the Beatitudes. So I read one translation I really enjoyed. They, they said, instead of blessed, they would translate it, good news. With an exclamation point. Good news. It's like this proclamation. Jesus is saying, hey, good news. And then there's the content of what's happening afterwards. Good news, you who are mourning, because you are going to be comforted. Good news, you who are merciful, because you are going to receive mercy. Good news, you who are peacemakers, because you are going to inherit the earth. So the shouts of good news are for those who are currently displaying in their lives what the, the rule of the kingdom of God looks like here on earth. Especially when those values fly in the face of the values of the kingdoms of this world. And that 
that conflict will cause persecution. So the disciples of Jesus are to display the culture of heaven. When you look at the Beatitudes, you are looking at the contours of the culture of the kingdom of God. His disciples are to display the culture of heaven. I was thinking back when I lived in Chicago, there used to be a Chinatown. There was a little Italy, Greek town. You can think of the Beatitudes as, or you can think of the church as little heaven. Sort of this subculture here on the earth. Little heaven. And, and who we are then and what we do, the ways that we speak, our intentions, the things that we give our energy to, how we do friendship, are all the ways that we show people what heaven looks like. Thank the Lord for grace. <laughs> because that's really hard to do. And, and it would be hard to memorize all of those Beatitudes and then to recall them every time you're faced with making a decision uh, or each time you feel an emotion. Like we can't recall all of them. Um, but I wonder what we might do to help ourselves become better outposts of the kingdom of God. How do, the question I've been asking is, how do people experience Jesus when they experience me? You could ask this question too. How do people experience Jesus when they experience you? And and that is a call to a culture of spiritual dependence, humility with our creator, meekness and gentleness, tenderness, care, concern for the well-being of others, to the point of even weeping with others who are weeping for the ways that things are broken right now. And that can fly in the face of the ways that some people would like the kingdom of God to come because some people are very eager to pull up their swords. And this is not the way of weeping with others who are weeping. And so there's this willingness to suffer wrong at the hands of of the unjust for the good of others. But um, I want to also mention, and like Father Daniel mentioned last week, Jesus isn't addressing every single micro scenario. This is general wisdom teaching. And so, in some ways, these are not unconditional statements. If you do this, then this will happen. It's not so transactional like that. Um, and that's important. Uh, this is wisdom literature. It's creating a culture, not addressing every specific situation. And so they're not promises per se, as much as this description of a culture. Here's why I mentioned that. Um, because in my experience, uh, in, well, just... American Christianity, uh, there are situations where there is domestic or ecclesiastical or vocational situations where somebody's enduring abuse, right? And so we need to be careful about applying this this general truth too specifically to every scenario. Um, For people who are in those abusive situations, get out, get help. Um, Submission to the Lord takes precedent over submission to an abusive institution. The reason why is because God's more interested in saving people than he is institutions. So we need to say that at the beginning so that we don't say submit to abuse, right? Thinking of the general truth that Jesus is not addressing every specific situation. Like Psalm 1, Jesus is teaching wisdom literature. He's not addressing every single scenario. And so this is just one caveat. He's creating a culture where the good news is proclaimed. 
That's the main thing. Um, through the culture of the kingdom of heaven. And so, how do we do this? How do we create the culture of the kingdom of heaven? Well, start with each day uh, meditating at some point on the example of Jesus. I remember, um, uh, what is that, that book? Imitatio Christi, Imitation of Christ. There we go. Uh, you know, like something like that. Just take some time imitating on the example, uh, meditating on the example of Jesus. I think the more that we know Christ, again, who is the image of the invisible God, the more we understand the confident meekness that is God's kingdom culture. There's both confidence and humility in the culture of the kingdom of God. So each day in our household, one of the things we try and do more or less successfully is talk about our highs and lows. What was your high today? What was your low today? And, and I wonder if we might add another question to that, which is, what did we learn about Jesus today? What did we learn about Jesus? Maybe we heard something about him. Maybe we read something about him. Maybe we had a thought or a question that popped into our brain about Jesus that we, we want to ask later or see what other people think. Another question that we could ask, and I would encourage us to ask ourselves over and over again is, What do people learn about Jesus when they get to know me? What do people learn about Jesus as they come to know me? And that's another way of asking how we show the kingdom of God. So Jesus lived out the first part of every beatitude, this meekness, humility, even down to being persecuted. And because of his death and resurrection, it is also true that the ultimate experience of blessedness will be true for those who are in the kingdom of God. So we remember all the saints who have gone before us, and this blessed rest is theirs. Whether or not they experienced it in this life, they now claim it. Their rest is done, or their rest is here and now. And so Jesus has procured for us the second part of each blessing. Now that's true in part. Uh, We will experience it, though, in part, but ultimately in full. And so on Halloween night, I was thinking a bunch of our neighbors... We had a bunch of them over, probably about 20 neighbors, and and none of which, to my knowledge, are actively following Jesus right now. Um, And that forced me, actually, as I was thinking about this sermon, to think about how I said things. You know, like when people ask about how work is going, uh, it's really awkward when you're a priest, you know, because you're like, well, if I say things are hard right now, then that's sort of an awkward conversation. But... um, you know, things aren't. But like, you know, as you think about your conversations with other people, uh, how do you frame what you do? How you think about what you do? The relationships that you have. And, and this, you know, these conversations force me to think about my reactions to things and, and, and how my neighbors were experiencing me. How do my neighbors experience me? Am I a safe person? Um, and I'm encouraged that the answer is yes. The, some have called me before when they've had a hard time. And so am I being equally tender and meek in caring for my wife, my son, God's church, and my neighbors who are not yet following Jesus? As you think about the places that you're in, are, are you equally meek and tender, grace-filled? Um, again, not perfect, uh, but when we make mistakes, are we quick to apologize? Are you in that space in the different areas that God has called you to? What do people experience about Jesus when they experience you? 
Um, so if I have an anger problem at home and I'm sour with my neighbors, but I'm kind to the church, then I'm not really fully living integrated as a citizen of God's kingdom in all the places that he's called me to. I'm acting like a citizen of heaven around others who are also called citizens of the kingdom um, when it's easy. But how are other people experiencing me? And so that's why I love this connection of the church militant to the church triumphant on this day. Because I'm, I'm looking for Jesus and we are looking for Jesus in people who have gone before us. Um, to follow the good examples of these blessed saints, who none of which were perfect. And in fact, some of which you can read about the places where they had to sin, uh, where they sinned and they had to repent and be restored. And so we, we have these examples who have gone before us. So I'd encourage you sometime this week uh, to take time and journal about people that you have encountered in your story. Who have you in, in, encountered in your story that has encouraged you in your relationship with Christ? They could be living right now. They could have departed this life already. What did you learn about Jesus from them? Was there something unique? And then you can do this as well as you go through your book of common prayer. There are all kinds of saints in there. There's other resources to help you learn about them, like um, one's called Holy Women, Holy Men, and it walks through the lives of each of these saints, gives you some scripture readings and collects. Another one called Lesser Feasts and Fasts. Um, but get to know your spiritual heritage. Who are your people? Uh, and how do they ground you? What do you learn about Jesus from them? And I think that, to me, is the joy of All Saints Day. This isn't a day to um, just be a funeral. Uh, this is a day to rejoice in the image of Jesus, in his saints triumphant. Uh, and the ways that it connects to the church militant. And so we remember those who mourned. Uh, in Christ and are now comforted, those who were hungry and were thirsting and for God's righteousness and, and are now satisfied. And we remember those who showed God's grace um, in all the brokenness that they experienced, and they're now restored to full union with Christ, which they tasted in part while they were here, and now they experience in full. And we long for it, and we look forward to. And so we celebrate the memory of all those who de who departed um, in, in faith in Christ who followed him and so take some time today to wonder about Jesus I like that word wonder sort of thinking about wondering about where Jesus is present in the lives of others uh, where is Jesus present in the lives of the saints where is Jesus present in our own life because we want to be a little colony of heaven here on the earth just like traveling to our home culture again to gain perspective on how to live out the culture of heaven in this present age, let's look back to our spiritual heritage. Uh, and let's, the, um, this heritage that exemplified the Beatitudes for us, this, these blessings of the new covenant, showing strength and meekness, glory and humility, and faith that God's kingdom would come on the earth as it is in heaven, just like we pray in the Lord's Prayer. So let's consider over and over again this question. How do people experience Jesus when they encounter us? How do people experience Jesus when they encounter us? And as the church militant, let's become an embassy and an outpost for the kingdom of God, joining with the church triumphant in that mystical and sweet communion where our lives point people to the righteousness of the good news and the goodness 
of the good news of God's rule and reign here on the earth. Let's pray. O eternal Lord God, you hold all souls in life. Shed forth upon your whole church in paradise and on the earth the bright beams of your light and heavenly comfort. And grant that we, following the good examples of those who have loved and served you here and are now at rest, may enter with them into the fullness of your unending joy. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.